Hello, and welcome to the Minnesota Moderate Podcast, where our mission is to revive, reconnect, and redefine Minnesota's independent and moderate political community. My name is Bradley Sheppey, your host and City of Minnetonka Council Member. Today, we welcome Professor David Schultz, a distinguished professor of political science and legal studies at Hamlin University. David's a three-time Fulbright scholar who has authored 30 books, and um, I'd like to welcome him to our podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Bradley. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, for those who are uh, who are new to understanding that I'm from Minnetonka, Mr. Schultz, Professor Schultz came to Minnetonka and uh, gave his uh, advice on a ranked choice voting topic, and that introduced us uh, going back last year. So first off, uh, we have this concept on the podcast called Thankful. And it's the, the whole idea to start positive icebreaker and say one basic thing that you're thankful for. It could be this day, it could be this week. Um, I'll go ahead and start. And um, I'm thankful that our proposed Minnesota state redistricting maps for the legislature don't appear to be as bad as some of them in other states across <laughs> the country. So that's I mean, there's there's margin of error to work with, but that's what I'm thankful for. How about you, Professor Schultz? Okay, I am thankful and I have a prop for it. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm going to show you a pie pan with, with a split down the middle. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, those are audio. That's what he showed us. <laughs> okay. It's called the divided loyalty pie pan. And here's why I'm thankful for it. On Thanksgiving, when we couldn't decide, do we make blueberry pie or apple pie or pumpkin pie? What you can do is make one half of a pie on one side, one half on the other. Uh, and so in a, in a podcast that's devoted not to division, I will say I am thrilled by a divided loyalty pie pan, which I could get two pies out of one pan. <laughs> That's fantastic. As long as they, they cook evenly, right? You know, the... they did, they did. so what we did is, so what we did is we did, um, what was it? I think we did, um, um, res we have raspberries in our yards. We, we did raspberries and then we bought some blueberries. And so we had raspberry on one side, blueberry on the other, and they cook roughly the same time. Good. Right. And, yeah. Had we done something like apple and pumpkin, that probably yeah. wouldn't have worked. <laughs> so, so, so this is the only time I will defend yeah. division. Um, yes, um, good. Being able to get two different kinds of pies out of one pan, that's a that's an invention. Yeah, it's a compromise that worked, apparently. So good. It did. And maybe it should be a symbol or a metaphor for America. Yes. Yeah, it, it, well, it helps for this podcast. So um we're we're here, we're we're here hopefully trying to break down that middle. Um, right. so it's all about context. Um so we're going to pivot back into you know why we're here and and keep educating those new to the podcast about our conversations and why we're different. Um, the purpose here in the podcast is not really just to have um, simple questions to have them answered, but to really have a discussion and a narrative and a little bit of a deeper dive, and to try to also stay away from both sidesisms, meaning um, you know everything has to be even. We we we. Because you're a moderate doesn't mean everything has to be balanced. I think we have strong opinions, but it's also just trying to, um, to 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 ask our guests, like we have Professor Schultz, on their feedback. So we'll go ahead and start on the same topic we were uh, addressed in one and two, which was redefining the middle and who are we, who are the moderates, and I believe 
Professor Schultz has decades of experience um, looking into the data, talking with people, speaking with students. And so I'm going to give him a softball for the first question really is to tell us a little bit more about in 2021, you know, who are the moderates in Minnesota and, uh, you know, everything from gender, age, where do they live? Um, what's going on and who, who are we? Okay, I'm going to tell you an interesting story. So in in 2018, I was out at Minnetonka High School speaking, you know, right before the um, uh, before the midterm elections. Mm -hmm. And I turned to uh, the students, you know, this was a race that was featuring, you know, um, Eric Paulson, Dean Phillips. Um, it looked like what the control of Congress was was at stake at this point, <laughs> not just that district, but but really things looked important. Yep. And I turned to a bunch of the seniors at Minnetonka High School and I said to them, you know what? Your mothers are the most important people in the United States and the most powerful. And they all stopped and looked at me. And I said, why? And I said, well, listen, your moms, you know, Minnetonka is a very well-educated area. Yeah. Uh, uh, I said that your moms, college educated, are the single most important swing voters um, um, and really independent voters in the United States. And they all got very quiet because they weren't sure what I was talking about. And I said, let's walk back about 20 years ago. And about 20 years ago, um, places such as Minnetonka, maybe Eden Prairie, um, um, Wazata, uh, these are places that would have been what? Um, you know, pretty reliably Republican um, mm -hmm. area. And, 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 and women who lived in those districts, especially college educated, would have been Republican. Uh, but what's happened over about a 20 to 25 year period is that these college educated um, um, suburban women have moved away from the Republican Party. Now, they haven't become Democrats completely, but they've moved away. And why they moved away initially was maybe on, let's say, reproductive rights issues. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually, they moved from the Republican Party on what I call um, family security issues. They're concerned about what? Quality of schools, safe mm -hmm. schools. Um, they're concerned about um, health care you know, for their family mm -hmm. uh, and, and a few other issues too. And the reason why I mention it, I've been arguing for the last few years, and I'm still convinced of this now, that, that the political center of the United States are places like Minnetonka and Wazetta. I'm not just saying that to make you happy, but I'm serious here yeah. because uh, really what's happened now is that the control of the suburbs politically determines who, who wins the state legislature, mm -hmm. who wins Congress and so forth. And the suburbs that are incredibly important are, are suburbs like where you live. Um, and the voters who really drive it are what? College educated suburban women. Mm -hmm. In 2016, women such as like those who live in Minnetonka, um, Wazada, um, um, Eden Prairie, weren't a fan of Donald Trump, weren't a fan of Hillary Clinton. They more or less stayed home on election day. Um, Two years later, in 2018, those suburban women came out and voted for Democrats, and Democrats did well. And in 2020, they mm -hmm. came out and voted, um, and Democrats did well. And so to me, what, what, what suburban college-educated women do, do they show up and vote? Do they not show up and vote, mostly? That drives American politics and whether the Republicans or Democrats win. And to me... Um, I don't know. I have my what my 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 magic wand that I bring to class sometimes. I say that that if I, if I'm trying to define the center, um, what I want to do is find out 
what suburban college educated women are thinking, what they want and what they want. And I would pitch my politics in that direction. Now, those are clearly not the only um, yep. um, swing voters, yep. but that gives you a picture. It's, it's these middle class, uh, maybe slightly more middle, but middle class um, first and second ring suburbs across the United States um, that, that really are the center of American politics mm. along with the people who live there. And, and that's, that's the center now um, yeah. um, in terms of where it is. And it reflects the sensibilities of people who, again, who care about what? Uh, care about you know basic issues about schools, the economy, healthcare. Um, they're worried about what childcare type of issues. Uh, these are what I don't know the bread and butter issues. When you think about it, when when you talk to your constituents, you know, yeah, I'm, granted you're a city council member and they're going to talk to you about potholes and so forth like yeah. that. Which, yeah, but at the end of the day. What are they worried about? Um, does my kid have a good place to go to school? Yeah. Um, is my kid going to be safe from COVID? Um, um, things, things like that. Yeah. So, so that's 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 the center, and that's that's where I, if again, if I were waving my magic wand, sure, I would build politics around that center. Yeah. Well, interesting. Let's let's focus on on the data a little bit more, and then we'll expand upon these um, the demographic and, and the narrative. So. Following up on what Professor Schultz uh, commented, which was this trend from Republican to Democrat over the last 10, five, four years, um, particularly here in Minnetonka and the western suburbs of the Twin Cities here. And for example, I'm in Senate District 44, um, where in, as, as of recent as of 2016, we had a Republican win, uh, Senator Paul Anderson who outperformed Hillary Clinton, um, who then elected to not run in 2020, where my neighbor and Democrat uh, Senator Ann Stewart-Johnson ran and defeated the, um, a candidate there, not with the same name recognition, but won by 58 to 41, a lot. And so I thought I would throw that back in terms of this conversation of, um, you know, what, what's a competitive district and um, and who are, is, is this 15% plus or minus, whether it's where we've gone from Eric Paulson to Dean Phillips or from Paul Anderson to Ann Stewart Johnson, if, if this is now our pie, our swing pie of this 15%, um, who are, who are those 15%? Is it, is it the, the, the white, you know, the, the educated, uh, suburban women? A few others, or what are your thoughts? Well, what we're really finding now um, is that sort of the biggest shifts that are occurring right mm -hmm. now are with two groups of people. Um, one, it's going to be college-educated, mostly college-educated white, um, mm -hmm. who have moved from uh, the Republican Party more towards the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. And it's it's white working class. I'm going to even expand it. We're now getting data. It's working class without a college degree, which used to be the mainstay of the Democratic Party that's moving over to the Republican Party. Now, I know we're talking about the Western suburbs, but yep. I want to do a few other points in Minnesota. Sure. So please. So think. So let's think about Olmstead and Mauer counties. Olmstead is where what Rochester, Minnesota is. Yep. Um, Mauer is where Austin is. Um, and, and keep in mind also, so what? Rochester is what? Mayo Clinic. It had IBM. Um, 
Austin is what? Hormel. Um, mm. What was fascinating to me in 2016 is how Austin, Minnesota, and Maurer County flipped Republican, then it flipped back in 2020 back to Democrat. Rochester, Olmsted, Rochester, Minnesota, Olmsted County, 20 years ago was solidly Republican. Mm-hmm. Now it's more solidly Democrat. And the reason why I mention this, the places that are really interesting now, um, we can draw maps across the state of Minnesota and the United States. Presence of a college degree or not having a college degree seem to be the new divide now. And, and, and if we now sort of take college degree and especially put it in kind of, let's say, suburban areas, and I'm, and I'm going to mostly say like maybe second, second ring suburban areas, which are kind of mixed, mixed in terms of um, some income, um, uh, maybe uh, not heavily affluent, clearly not poor, et cetera, et cetera, like that. The, those are the swing areas now. So in Minnesota, um, it's places like like Lakeville. Um, um, it's places like again Minnetonka and so forth, like that. That 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 again at one time were solidly of one party, but now seem a little bit mixed. But what really needs seems to be pushing places one side or another um, are are what education. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean that's that's become the new divide um, in American politics. Um, and what's happened is that even though we've, you know, we've got this college educated population, not all are, all are, are, are very conservative or very liberal, um, but, and so that's why I go back to my point, that's the center, but what's happening in both the Republican and Democratic parties, we do have extremists on both sides are pushing and pushing the parties further and further apart. Kind of what, the tail wagging the dog? Sure. And what's winding up happening is that a lot of these college-educated people, these are your neighbors. You know who yeah. I'm talking about here. Um, they they feel increasingly frustrated by the two parties. The way, I, the way I've been describing it for a long time is that <laughs> for a lot of people, they view the two political parties, this is my metaphor, like, like two different restaurants with two different menus. They don't like some of the menu here. They don't like yeah. some of the menu here. <laughs> it's really good, actually. And so what's happened, extremists have now defined the menu, you know, on yeah. both sides. There's a bunch of people um, who feel increasingly, well, I'm not sure where I belong. Um, and, and places like Minnetonka, uh, which again, used to be, you know, more, more swing are just, being forced by the labels of the parties yeah. to either have to go for menu A or menu B, when mm-hmm. in fact all of them want, or, or not all of them, but many want menu C. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, it's super helpful. I, a quick story for me was that when I ran uh, for city council in 2019, we have off year odd elections. Oftentimes I knocked on doors and they demanded to know what party I was. And in, in a, several occasions, I said the truth, which is I'm not in a party I'm more of a centrist or a moderate. And some people would say, I'll stop you right there. You have my vote. Just that's all I needed to hear. Like they, they actually welcomed yeah. a message, which was not partisan. I know it's different. It's the city level and it's, it's, it's not state or federal, but um, I, I, I was actually surprised by that um, where people was just save your time, <laughs> go, go to the next door. It's all I needed to know. Um yeah. And, you know, so I think it, it just leads me that there's hope for more conversation. So let's, let's pivot a little bit to now this, 
this, this topic that you've started, which is, you know, competitive races and what are our right. choices. And so, um, you know, you, I'll, I'll put a link on the podcast where um, Professor Schultz gave a great um, 45 minute or so um, dialogue presentation with C-SPAN on Minnetonka politics. And he referenced that we, we here in Minnesota were, you know, a positive beacon of light where we actually had many of our legislative races competitive. Um, and so my, my brief comment before that is, is um, uh, I, I'd love to know more about that, but also I, I feel like some of us, you know, it's kind of the, the tyranny of the majority where I think if you get 10 or 15 points off, you, we, we end up having a lack of challengers. Like I don't, I don't see a whole robust slate of say Republican moderates running in these um, suburban districts where they see themselves in a deficit of 15 points. Sure. So <clears throat> it's not the Minneapolis democratic primary, but it's also, I'd be, I'd love to know more about, you know, what makes a, a district competitive? Okay, so so let's let's just I'm gonna I'm gonna do two different stories here. Okay, and it's gonna be at the national level and at Minnesota level. Okay, take us back to let's say approximately the mid 1970s in the United States, and then in Minnesota. Now we have 438 congressional seats um, in the United States, and in the House of Representatives in Minnesota, we have 134 seats. All right. Back in the mid seventies, of those four hundred and thirty-eight congressional seats, yep, about one hundred and twenty were swing seats. Um, they were kind of centrist seats, and why they were centrist is because if you looked at the, the distribution of Democrats and Republicans, they were roughly equal. So maybe 45, 45 or yep. 40, 40, whatever like that, but roughly equal. And you think about it, if you come from a centrist district, you know, where the Republicans and Democrats are, are balanced and you've got maybe, you know, let's say 15, 20% who are, who are, you know, kind of swing voters. Think about it. If you vote too much to the left or too much to the right or too, or too partisanly Democrat or too partisanly Republican, you're probably out in the next election. Um, you're yeah. gone. So you have every incentive to play it right down the middle. Um, so we had 120 seats, and that was the driver of political compromise in Congress. No partisan Democrats, hardcore Democrats, hardcore Republicans couldn't do what they wanted straight on. They needed those swing voters who drove compromise. In Minnesota, probably back in the mid 70s of those 134 seats, probably I'm going to say somewhere around 30, 35 of them, um, maybe even 40 of them um, were competitive. Now bring it to, to present day. In Congress, some people say it's 60. I actually think we're down to only about 30 competitive seats nationwide. Wow. Wow. And in the Minnesota House of Representatives, 10 to 15. Um, um, fewer competitive seats, fewer drivers of political compromise. Why have those competitive seats disappeared? Well, it's been what? Um, Bill Bishop, one of my favorite books, wrote a book called The Big Sort, and he said um, people have sorted themselves out politically and geographically. Um, uh, Democrats don't like living with Republicans. Republicans <laughs> don't like living with Democrats. Uh, uh, I had a neighbor once um, who said to me, um, I live in St. Paul and I live in a pretty Democratic area. He said, what are the chances of a Republican getting elected here? I said, pretty low. He moved to Eden Prairie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, what's so, so what's happened is yep. that we've, we've sorted each other, we sorted ourselves out mm -hmm. geographically and partisanly, created fewer swing seats, fewer swing districts. Um, and so now 
we've got districts like look at look at Minneapolis look at look at that congressional district um, um, almost no matter who the Democrat is that Democrat's going to get 70 percent of the vote yeah. um, that Democrat whoever it might be a Keith Allison an Ilhan Omar or a future Jane Doe or sure. whatever if she tries to compromise with Republicans she's going to lose her office yeah lose um, and similarly a Tom Emmer who represents kind of the St. Cloud area, sure. um, hardcore Democratic area, or Michelle Fishbach in the 7th District. If she starts compromising with Democrats, Done. she's going to be out. So yeah. we, so part of the problem is we've just sorted ourselves out, created too many safe districts and not enough swing ones um, to really force political compromise. And so we need what we need uh, the joke, of course, would be we need Democrats and Republicans to move. That's the first thing. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, get up and move. Um, yeah. but, but the other thing is we, we need to be figuring out how we can increase the number of competitive districts. Now, yeah. there's a, other things we need to do, too. But just structurally, we've we've insulated. We've created what? We've gerrymandered political bubbles um, that make compromise um, less attractive. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, uh, just, I mean, th this plays itself out <clears throat> over so many iterations from <clears throat> um, you can watch a, a, a legislative committee uh, on, on any topic. Like one of them I watched uh, in the, the professional world I'm in is landlord tenant law. And it, it felt like there was really no dialogue on, on, there was no conversation. There was no debate. They effectively were all making their own positions. Mm -hmm. And then it, the, the hearing was over. I mean, it's just, um, it, it seemed like it's, they don't know one another. Their language is yeah. very different, um, of whether it's how they view the private market or whether, how they view tenant advocacy. Um, so we're hopeful we might be naive here, but in this podcast as we hope through conversation and growing the audience and, having different people on it's um is 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 talking more about what we agree on and what we disagree on and i think we prior yeah. to the podcast professor schultz was was mentioning that so uh, i'd like to explore that a little bit more so um while we do have this you know we're suiting up and putting on our d and our r jerseys when we're voting and and frankly the parties are mailing us mailers saying dear Democrat, dear Republican, here's your, when you go to the polls, here are the eight people from Congress on down, who is right. your team, who you're supposed to vote for, right? You know, we're very different than, you know, issue voting and people and the way we used to be, but how do we, you know, take, let's, let's move forward on that, on that, on that issue of, um, whether it's a mechanism, a, a, a think tank, how do we, how do we move forward to, uh, of that conversation on what do Democrats and Republicans really agree or disagree on? Is it something simple or is it complicated or what are your thoughts? Okay. To me, a lot of it is language. And, and let me explain a little bit. Okay. So traditionally at this point, I would go into a long winded discussion and say that American politics 50 years ago was a bell curve. You know, that uh, if you line people's political views up from left to right, we would find some on the far left, some on the far right, most most are are in the center. Yep. I would then say traditionally the, the the curve now is not a bell curve; it's a bimodal curve, kind of like a double hump of camel's back. The number of people who, at least in theory, describe themselves as centrist 
has gone down dramatically. However, there's another curve. Um, I'm going to call it kind of like a, a policy or a problem curve. I'm not sure what it is, okay. but I want to tell a funny story. All right. So it was a few years ago. I was, I was um, at a conference. I had insomnia. I was staying in a hotel room. Um, and, and, and so you know, you know, we've all been there. In the middle of the night, you put on the TV because you can't get to sleep or yeah. something. And I don't know why I put on the MTV channel, um, which is not very good anymore, but, but I put it on and they had a person who went to um, an NRA convention. And he asked people things like, do you support gun control? And all the NRA members said, no, 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 I like that. Then he came back and he said, do you support universal background checks um, um, before people buy guns? And he was getting all these yeses, asked him questions like, do you support, um, let us say, 24-hour encourage? Yes. And he turned to these people and said, you told me you were against gun control, but you support all this. And the answer that came back from these NRA members was, oh, None of that's gun control. That's common sense. <laughs> uh, and, and what I loved about it yeah. is that is that we use phrases like gun control mm -hmm. or or Second Amendment or tax and spend, and yeah. they're charged terms yeah. that are meant to get the parties hot and bothered and the base yeah. excited. But if we peer beyond the um, the party labels, let me just give you a few examples out here. For example, um, about the polls suggest what about eighty percent of the American public, you know, give or take, support what universal background checks on guns. Um, about seventy-five percent of the American public support, for the most part, what a woman's right, you know, to terminate a pregnancy under some circumstances. Um, um, about seventy-five percent of the American public says we need to do more to help um, address the gap between the rich and the poor. Um, about 80% say we got to get money out of politics. The point is, if, if, if we could figure out a way of changing the language mm -hmm. in part, because words carry emotion, they carry meaning. Um, uh, to say Black Lives Matters or Blue Lives Matters, or, and I'm not going to use some of the, and as you know, like, like racial epithets, which are clearly charged, charged. Yeah. but they carry they carry meanings and emotions and if we could change the language mm -hmm. we find that right now the polls pew research is telling us this that across party lines there's actually far more consensus on, i'm going to call it policy mm -hmm. um but it gets hidden buried by words and buried by partisanship so i, I i'm sometimes i'm almost too linear in my head so this is fascinating and I'd like to even move you forward one more. So if the next step is maybe we're not so far apart on these, um, let's call them plurality majority issues, passing legislation has to go through, you know, the state legislature. <clears throat> let's just focus on Minnesota because that's the podcast. We're running up into, you know, caucus interests. Um, where, where, where is that? you know, what, what is that? Like the, the, the obstacle on the course here, is it just political will? Is it, um, is it, is it lobbyists? What, what, what are we, what are we running up against here in Minnesota with some of these ideas that do have 60% or more of support across the state? Yeah. You've hinted at some of them. I mean, I'm, I mean, we, we still have a situation where what, I described the two major parties like being the Soviet Union and the United States during the Cold War. Remember how the like, Soviets would build more missiles than the U.S. would build more missiles <laughs> yeah. back and forth? Yeah. And we sort of have a point where what the two major parties have 
um, locked into their positions. They've got interest groups that have locked into the positions. They've got lobbyists. We've got money. So the two parties are so entrenched by mm. multiple factors uh, that it's almost impossible for them to be able to move. And, and again, I wish, again, waving my magic wand, I wish I knew what the magic wand was to break it. Now, I'm still uh -huh. of the belief that we still need to address like the money and politics issue that's driving a lot of stuff. Uh, but maybe we also need to thinking about some tinkerings. You know what I mean by tinkerings? Um, remember for what, 70 years in Minnesota, we had a nonpartisan legislature. Um, maybe we ought to be thinking about something yeah. like that again. Um, I went to... Uh... Not, not to get you off topic, but I'm a yeah. University of Nebraska political science and yes. economic grad. So yes. I uh, study the unicameral very, very well. And uh, uh, I know that our former governor, Jesse Ventura, <laughs> tried to, yeah, yeah. for a short period of time, was all fired up about that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the nonpartisan model works well at, at the local level. At least they have to uh, ask the question on, a, on another funny note. When I was running for office on election day, I had someone call me whispering on the phone. I said, what? Like, I can't hear you. Can you please speak up? He's like, no, I can't. And he was telling me that he's at the election booth and was trying to know, am I the Republican or am I the Democrat? <laughs> and he was whispering from the from the booth. <laughs> the point being is he didn't know. And like, yeah. I mean, I didn't I'm not I was at the time. I'm nonpartisan and not in a party anyway, but. There was a there was a barrier to someone just going with the lowest common denominator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think your point is well taken. Here is is that part of it. I think is we are caught into the labels, but I'm also going to say something else. I think we need to do a better job at, and maybe it will break that break some of it. I think one of the things we do badly in this country is civic education. Mm -hmm. You know that uh, I know when I used to work in local government back east. Um, and I never took it as, a, as, as an insult or a problem, but people would call me about problems like my grandmother didn't get her social security check. Well, I can't help her at the local level at that technically, but I would still try to find a way yeah. to say, okay, let me, let me get, let me get, let me get your congressman for you um, mm -hmm. and help you out like that. What I'm getting at here is that I think we resort to party labels when we don't have information. And so maybe we could be doing a better job in school. Maybe cities could be doing a better job. I'm with us, like educating people about a variety of different issues. And so, so again, again, there's no silver bullet here, but I think better yeah. education, um, maybe considering um, um, getting rid of some of the party labels, you know, like, 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 uh, you know, like in terms of nonpartisan elections. Um, uh, I know some people, when I came and talked to you, um, there's some evidence, um, um, certainly not conclusive that maybe ranked choice voting helps in some cases. So, so I think there's a variety of things that we can start to take steps on. Um, but I think one of the first things we need to figure out is how do we get people to just talk to one another across yeah. boundaries? Um, um, one of my assistants, her name was Miriam, had this wonderful phrase. She says, we have a lot of passionately disinterested people out there. And, and, and by passionately disinterested, she said, people who care but at the same time feel disaffected from the process, but want a place to talk. They wanna talk about the fact that what? I'm concerned about uh, the quality of my kid's school or something like yep. that, or like that. And so we gotta find ways of creating uh, places to talk. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Uh, I think we, we've uh, 
we've wrapped up our time. Anything else you want to, you want to share? I'm not too much into the tell us all about 2022 crystal ball. I think that's another uh, podcast, but I think there's a, I think we've had a very healthy conversation. Uh, Professor Schultz, in my opinion, is um, I try to do a little bit of a summary and kind of figure out as we're paddling down this, this river here of uh, the Minnesota modern podcast, what are we hearing and what are we doing? I, Recurring theme here is civics, uh, right. is, is education. Durenberger talked about that, um, in, in his lifetime and, and what he saw was, was more, uh, uh prevalent at that time and right. what those institutions did to help educate. So, well, I really thank you for your time, professor Schultz. And I, I, my hope is that this podcast has a bright future and we ask you back and I hope I would you love to come back. I hope you accept our our offer. So with that, I'll just do our, our pre our brief outro, which is if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend. We aim to revive the middle one podcast and one podcast share at a time. Your help would be greatly appreciated. Listeners can find us at minnesotamoderate.com, Facebook and Twitter, uh, and download on any of your um, podcast apps such as Apple, Google, or Spotify. Thank you for your time. And once again, thank you, Professor Schultz. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.